Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself will discuss a lot of things. Commitment of Zion Pullen, the most notable among them. Gators get their much-needed addition to the backcourt. So, uh, Zion Pullen, guy that can can get fouled, can get into the lane, can pass. Coming to Florida, big deal. Uh, we'll also discuss the commitment of John Bull, another big deal for his biggest recruiting victory to date in the Todd Golden era, and the transfer of Julian Richwan from San Francisco. Caps are busy, busy show. We'll also talk a little College World Series at the end. Hope you guys enjoy the show. As always, we appreciate you listening and leaving ratings, uh, anything like that, that you can. Um, and remember that, as always, the Florida Basketball Hour is brought to you by the Gatorverse. They are uh, really doing wonderful, unique things in the NIL space, and the revenue is going to athletes, which is the most important thing. So if you're interested in purchasing collectibles, uh, if you're interested in their various tiers and memberships, uh, limited edition autograph collectibles, access to virtual dialogues with athletes, things like that. Um, they are your ticket and your marketplace. Uh, to join, visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. G-A-T-A-V-E-R-S-E dot I-O. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. In a, in a moment, I'll be joined by Eric Fawcett, intercountry.com. Eric Fawcett, uh, Edmonton Stingers, you know. We're, big stuff, big stuff going on with my guy in Canada. So uh, I guess he's here. We have a lot to talk about tonight. So um, Eric, man, what's up? Congratulations. I know, obviously I told you how happy I am for you, but I think everybody else is, is pretty pumped as well. And uh, yeah, good to see you, buddy. Oh, thank you. It's great to see you. I know it's been um, a while and uh, I know people wanted a, a, a podcast, uh, you know, many days ago when, when, when Poland committed a couple of commitments uh, since. So um, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, made it known on Twitter, um, but uh, I got a film coordinator job doing scouting for um, a local professional team and, um, in uh, my city of Edmonton in the Canadian elite basketball league. It's been uh, fantastic. Um, it's been great to, uh, you know, as some people are, you know, maybe aware who know me, um, you know, I do work for some division one teams, but uh, this is my first time dipping my toes into the professional waters. And um, after, you know, working remotely for division one teams, it has been um, really fun to, uh, you know, get to, at all the games for lack of a better term you know just to be able to to, to feel the energy uh myself so um it's been great and uh one thing that people will uh find really interesting is one of the players on our team is lucas williamson who people will remember from loyola chicago um he was there five years i think because he you know a, a traditional five years where i think he played nine games one season and then uh got hurt and got the year back what a throwback to you know 2018 <laughs> or whatever um but yeah i got to i got to uh ask him about hey uh what was it what was it like beating florida in non-conference play and uh obviously you went on to go to a final four um you know did did playing florida did beating florida kind of like tell you guys oh like this is legit and he's like yeah like 
you know, coaches can preach what they want to preach and say, Hey, this is going to work for us. But, uh, you know, you never totally know until it works. And, uh, um, I, I forget the words he said exactly, but whatever it was, I agreed with him. It wasn't just that he, uh, um, you know, they didn't just beat Florida. They like controlled that game. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like they, they snuck one out and it really gave them the confidence that, you know, not saying it's the only reason they made a final four, but that was a time where they realized they're like, Oh, I think we can, uh, can go pretty deep uh, in, in this thing. So um, that's my, my long way. I, I had to tie this, uh, you know, what I do in my regular life into the podcast um, a little bit, but uh, fun, fun to have a conversation with him. But uh, yeah, that's what's uh, going on with me. And uh, I know it's been very, very busy for you, Neil. And uh, we apologize once again to, to listeners. Um, but uh, yeah, we're finally here to talk about uh, a whole lot that's, uh, that's gone on here. Yeah. Well, let's start with, uh, you know, kind of, I don't even know if he's the man of the hour at this point um, with the John Bull commitment um, and then um, the Julian Rashawn commitment between uh, kind of the sandwich uh, between, you know, Bull and, and Zion Pullen. But let's talk about uh, Zion Pullen committing to the University of Florida. I think at the time that he committed, he was uh, the number two ranked player in the portal. Um, doesn't mean that he was that universally um, throughout portal season, but of the available players in the portal, he was number two behind Grant Nelson, who committed Alabama. Um, so, you know, kind of a, a huge deal and really exactly what, what Florida needed. I've seen this, oh, Florida went out and got their point guard. I'm not really sure that, like, that's what I would say Florida did, but I think what Florida did do is go out and get another guard, an electric scorer who can start or be a sixth man, um, and a guy who I think – um, is really good and we'll have a game that that will translate uh, to the SEC level for a number of reasons. But I think largest reason to me at least is just the way that he scores, um, that he is not afraid of contact, that he is big, that he is physical, and that he's not a guy who's going to take a lot of three-point jump shots. He's a guy that's going to find his shot uh, and get into the paint and stress defenses. So I, what I'm about to say is is going to sound very strange because these players are are, are really not um, at all like each other. But there's something about his game that that really reminds me of. Wait for it, Flanders Fleming. And I know again at first people are going to be kind of thrown by that because they're really not the same player. But um, Flanders Fleming had these you know ridiculous numbers at in a much worse league than even the big West and at a, you know, a team that was 300 and something than Ken Palm. Um, and of course there's a question of like, man, what does this guy do? That's going to translate. And, and of course, Flanders Fleming, it's playing for Charleston Southern was like bully ball at times. He dribbled gar other guards down on the block and just, you know, get bullies way to the rim and score. And it was kind of like, well, that's not going to totally translate. But one thing that Flanders Fleming did was he didn't shoot a lot of threes um, but he had a lot of pull-up jumpers in the mid-range. And it was one of those things where he took a lot of these, you know, pull-ups, you know, semi-off balance, but under control mid-range jump shots. And it's one of those things that's like, yeah, is, is it going to get a little bit more difficult with like an SEC wing guarding it? Yeah. But those are the kind of shots that it's like, if you're going to hit, if you're going to sprint and stop on a dime and maybe change direction once and then hit a leaning pull-up jumper, like, that degree of difficulty is, is, is a little bit more the same at a mid-major league in the SEC than if a player is, you know, driving in a straight line, beating his man off the bounce and finishing at the rim, like say Brandon McKissick, for an example, where they're, I, you know, 
questions about how I was going to translate. So um, that's one thing that I, I know some people will be like, oh, I can't shoot. How's it going to translate? And it's like, you know, I, I have some concerns about, per, you know, certain parts of his game translating, but there is an element of, of Pullen's game that is a lot of like create space in the mid range and, and, and hit, hit pull up jumpers. And um, I think it's going to translate. Uh, and then of course, the next question is going to be how many mid range jump shots off the dribble do you want a guard taking? Um, and again, I think this is also fascinating because, and again, I'm going to, I just started by comparing, by making, not a comparison, by by conjuring the name of Flanders Fleming. I'm about to say another name that I, I really don't mean as an example, but so I, I, I had pointed out that when the Gators got Kyle Lofton, that he was not a very analytically savvy player and was not a very Todd Goldeny type player because he didn't finish at the rim and he didn't shoot threes. Um so Pullen is better at shooting threes when he does shoot them, but doesn't shoot a lot. And he's not a great finisher at the rim, but he's a little bit better than, um, than Lofton, but still there's an element where like a lot, a lot of Pullen's offense is, is, is pull up jump shots in the mid range. So I'm fascinated to see how much he is empowered to take those shots at Florida. And, uh, you know, do they double his, his, his three point attempts this season? Cause I could also see that, but, um, yeah, there's, there's so much interesting about this, um, both because he's a genuinely good player. Um, he's got some flash to his game and, uh, I will say it's like, well, the, the team that's very big on, on, on analytics and like many teams are in college basketball and like many teams in college basketball are about trying to get score at the rim and trying to, um, hit threes. He's not a player that's great at getting to the rim and scoring. And he's not a good player that's great at hitting threes. So that is pretty interesting. Uh, but the other thing you do, can do, of course, and you can touch on this or whatever. I just, all the hundreds of things I just said, um, he does create a lot of threes um, with his passing ability. Yeah. I mean, he does, he, he does not shy away from contact. He does get into the paint. Now he's a player that kind of gets into the paint with the intent to pass. Um, much more than with the intent to finish. And it will be interesting to see if SEC defenses sort of Andrew Nimhart him in a little bit of a way and say, hey, man, let's let's see you finish at the rim. I'm not, again, I mean, we're not trying to make wild comparisons on Florida Basketball Hour. I'm just saying that I think there are certain elements to the way he will get in the paint that may remind you some of young Andrew Nimhart at Florida. Um, he, he's doing it to look to pass, but he's also a guy who, you know, was in, I think the top 100, if not the top 100, then certainly the top, yeah, top 200 in fouls drawn per 40 minutes at five fouls drawn for per 40. He would have ranked pretty high on the Gators last year. Granted that was in the big West, but I think, um, you know, another thing you'll notice about him, if you look at the last two years of his uh, numbers is that he's played good games against quality competition he had a tough one against Creighton um but otherwise has been pretty good had a and, and a tough one against St. Mary's uh the year prior it has been pretty darn good otherwise against good teams including a solid game against San Diego State and Arizona State San Diego State was in the final four this year he played well against them last year had 10 and 8 um so he's a guy that uses his 6-4 to get down there and rebound too a little bit um and I think that's kind of the point guard uh, for me, you know, it's the passing and then the ability to rebound and then initiate offense and transition and be comfortable with his handles that I think are two other things that are pretty darn appealing about him. Um, even when we get past the fact that he somehow does seem to pile up the points without super high shooting percentages, Eric. 
yeah, he's he's uh, he's able to uh, to put up numbers for sure. Like he's productive when it comes to points, productive rebounding the ball, productive with assists. Like, um, and again for a for a staff that is um, very big on uh, on looking for for some usage was that was the term they use and and wanting some guys that can shoulder a, a lot of offensive load when needed. Um, this is a kind of a fun a fun stat. Um, but there's only one player that um, that ran more pick and rolls than Pullen last year. Um, I, I would I would ask you cold, and there's actually a chance you get this answer right. Um, but I but I won't make you do that live on the podcast. Um, but you won't be surprised by this name, Yuri Collins, uh, from St. Louis, one of the best passers in the country. So he had the most pick and rolls logged per synergy. Um, Pullen was second, and Pullen logged a lot more isolation possessions than than Yuri Collins. So. Um, if you, I, I, I don't, I forget exactly where he was nationally, but he, he had like just under three isolation possessions a game, which is a ton. I think he had like nearly as much as the Gators did as, as a team, um, uh, outside of late clock situations. So, um, if the Gators need him to, uh, to, to run things, if Riley Kugel's on, on the bench, if they need him to run things just because he ends up being that good, like there's going to be no level of offensive load that he's going to have issues with you know again may, maybe there is um some some difficulties translating up to the new level of competition but just in terms of a, a guy that's played a ton of minutes over four seasons a guy who's not just played a ton of minutes but has had the ball in his hands tasked and not just someone who's had the ball in his hands to distribute but tasked with scoring tasked with distributing tasked with everything like he's going to be able to to take whatever the, the Gators put on his plate I I think and I think the uh the next question would be then of course you know what is it on, on his plate? Is it a, is it a starting role? Is it a six man role? I think those are the only two kind of op- options. I don't think anyone is like has him as the, the, the fourth guy off the bench. So uh, it's uh, kind of be a situation where like, yeah, you, you just have to wonder, do the Gators see him as a starter? Or do they see him as someone who can come off the bench? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is. And that was going to be my next question for you. So it seems like we're heading in the same direction on this. Is he, is he a starter or is he a sixth man? That was kind of, where I was going to take it. Um, you know, I think if you're looking for Florida's best five, you know, where do you slot him? I mean, for me, if, if you just, if you're starting your best five, then I'm starting Zion Pullen. I'm starting Riley Kugel at the two. I'm starting Will Richard at the three. I'm starting edge Jarvis as my power forward. And I'm starting big Ty Samuel at center. Um, and then Samuel can play the four when Micah Hanlock can play, is which he will. Uh, but that's probably the group that I'm going with. And then Walter Clayton is coming off the bench for me because I know he can play off guard. I know he can play on the ball. Um, I know he's kind of instant offense as a shooter. Um, so that's that's probably the direction that I'm going. I don't know if that's the direction the staff's going. Certainly it was interesting that Chris Harris at Al Florida got their point guard. Um because Chris is kind of in the room where it happens. Right. So, uh, or to some extent at least. So there may be, you know, that might've come from somewhere, not just Chris Harry's brain. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot to figure out here, not just in the next six weeks as the, they get the gang together for summer B, but then into the fall. I mean, here's my reaction to you saying the best five, um, I agree or disagree. Um, the best five would be Zion Pullen, um, Walter Clayton, uh, Riley Kugel, 
and Will Richard at the four instead of EJ Jarvis. I would have, I would, have, and then yeah. Terry Sam at the five. If we're truly yeah. talking who the best five players are, that's my. That's best true. Player. Do you? That's so true. I, I, again, and uh, you could, and I'm not. Again, I'm not sure. If no, I right. agree with you. Okay, yeah. so so again, and, and your best, your best five is not always your five best players, and right. that's the the situation you get into um, building lineups. But uh, it's going to be interesting because that's who I think Florida's best five players are. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's going to be optimal. I guess I kind of went best traditional starting five, like looking at it that way. And and again, it's 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 pretty clear that that the staff is pretty desperate to to play bigger. So I would certainly not bet on uh, the Will Richard at at the four. And I don't know if it's 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 best for him. And uh, but I think there's going to be times that that lineup's um, the best. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting to me because I actually, and I think this is probably going to surprise some people. And I definitely think I'm probably wrong on this one, just relative to what the Gators are going to do, because of what, even, you know, like you said, um, the, the Chris Harry article. Uh, but I actually think that I, I think I would want Walter Clayton to start because I don't see him as instant offense off the bench as someone who's at a very above average catch and shoot player, but not hmm. someone who I think is mediocre at best as a creator with the ball. Right. Um, that's someone who like, like I'm thinking Riley Kugel and let's put the best floor spacers around him that he can. The two best catch and shoot players are 100% Walter Clayton, who could be one of the best catch and shoot guards in the country or the sec, whatever you want to say. And Will Richard who hit like 40 some odd percent of his catch and shoot threes. Um, and then I have EJ Jarvis because I think you need that that bulk down low, and of course, you know Tyree Samuel, who I think is the best this best center on the roster. So I, I really think that actually the um, I, I actually think that that's the five I would want starting, and then I would want Pullen coming in and and taking some of the offensive load immediately. Um, yeah, like to get someone who can come in and. and put him in isolation, ghost a screen through and let him attack downhill. Um, yeah. Of course, let him use, use ball screens. Like, I think I would like him in a little bit more of, of, of that role. Like let's say, let's say that Poland starts and Clayton comes off the bench and the Gators are playing at Arkansas or whatever. And it comes to the first TV timeout and the Gators don't have anything going offensively. Like subbing in Walter Clayton is not going to be like, oh, okay, like now we can, you know, see what happens. We got another look like that would be, that's a concern to me. But if you bring in Poland, um, with the starting five that I laid out before, that's someone who can kind of change the complexion of the game. Yeah. And I think that that's what you're looking at. And, and um, again, of course, the other thing too is pulling someone who's absolutely at the best with the ball in his hands. And so is Riley Kugel. And Riley Kugel is a better basketball player than, than Pullen. So I'm probably looking to optimize things around him and then bring Pullen in. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I think that Pullen is, is, is a better basketball player than, than Walter Clayton right now. So I, I would have no issues with Pullen starting for sure. Or if the large majority of people listening to this said, oh, I think Pullen's going to start. Or I want Pullen to start. No, no issues with me. This is, uh, this is just, you know, it's, 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 it's close. I could go either way with it because there's also a lot of value in having your best players out there. But uh, yeah. yeah, I just, uh, again, it's going to be one of those things as well. Like is Pullen the best player to surround Riley Kugel with? Um, no, I don't think anyone particularly thinks he's in that archetype, but everyone kind of agrees he's a great player in his, um, ball handling, pick and roll, isolation role. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to a couple different people, truly Donovan, uh, now we're kind of chatting about it and, um, you know, uh, that's what I see. He's like, well, now what do you think? Um, cause he heard the last podcast and was like, I heard you saying Florida wasn't an NCAA tournament team. And I said, well, I think Florida got a hell of a sixth man. <laughs> so, um, and then Chris Harry wrote his article and I was like, 
oh, are they going to start him? So then I came on the podcast. It's kind of like, ah. so yeah, I mean, I've gone back and forth, man. I, I hear you. And that's a good point about like, you know, I don't know if you're bringing in now, then again, Canyon Berry won SEC six man of the year as like a lethal shooter off the bench. Um, So I'm not saying that like Walter Clinton can't fit that role, but I like the idea of Zion Poland because Again, I just think he stresses defenses in a different way that this roster didn't really have outside of Riley Kugel, which is why he was such an important get, as good as they've been in the transfer portal. Uh, first of all, I mean, shout, shout out to Trilly Donovan. He's uh, he's the real winner of this this college basketball offseason. Um, going from like, like I think no I followed doubt. him when he was, I think I followed him when he had like 300 followers and was like really like, like <laughs> yeah. at that point it was, like really like the anonymous burner like lurking a little bit in the shadows but you're like oh what this guy is like nailed like seven coaching changes moves in a row and now he's like, <laughs> like twenty thousand followers and is like the utmost authority and in, in, in all things scoop so um pretty cool that you know he appears to to maybe be some somewhat of a uh a florida fan and uh oh i mean if he's talking to talking to you definitely an fbh fan well, if he's listening to the podcast, he's got to be. Yeah. And uh, so that that disqualifies, I'm sure, a lot of the, the popular names that, that people think it might be. But anyways, um, yeah, it's uh, I was this is, of course, the question, um, you know, I, I Neil, you texted me something and uh, I didn't actually respond to it like a friend or, you know, some a fellow co-host would. I decided I would instead ambush you with it on the podcast. You 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 texted me and said that you think that this is uh, um, a top twenty five um, roster in terms of talent, um, but yeah, on the previous podcast you said you did not think that this team was an NCAA tournament team. So, do you think that Zion Pullen is worth the difference between a team that you don't think is going to make the NCAA tournament and a top twenty five team, or you know how do you, how do you square those things? And of course, I'll remind people too that like. It you it's like the thirty sixth team in Ken, in Ken Palm is usually the one that doesn't make the dance. So like that's what's always funny too. People are like, oh, this is a t- top twenty five team, and then let's like, oh, if you miss the tournament, you're trash. Like often that's the difference between twenty fifth and like thirty fifth. So, um, but anyways, I I, I you know I I'm curious. Do you, do you think this is a top twenty five team now? Um, where like what what for for you who thought that maybe this team wasn't yeah. talented enough to make the NCAA tournament, though it wouldn't have surprised you to now having Zion Pullen, like how, how big is this, is this get for you? Yeah. I mean, I just think it's huge. I, and obviously I, you know, I'm, I was trying to be thoughtful when I text that texted that <laughs> um, I think I, uh, other folks that I might've talked to, I said, they got to coach them. The old Steve Spurrier quote, well, you got to coach them but we feel pretty good about our team. Um, you know, so I think like that's kind of where I'm at with the roster now. And like, that was it for me. Like they just had to have another guard that could create baskets for other people. Because what do you do if Riley Kugel's in foul trouble? Well, now you have Zion Pullen. So, you know, the fact that Walter Clayton and Will Richard were on this roster and those guys are going to hit shots, Eric, isn't going to change. Right. And I say that expecting, I'm just be, you know, this is, it's what month is it? June. Um, sorry. We all woke up from our John Rothstein map and forgot what month it is. Um, I don't expect anything from Alex Shimchek. Nothing. Um, I expect nothing from Alex Condon. 
I expect very little from Thomas Hawk. Okay. So I've eliminated three pieces of the roster right now that I just don't think maybe Thomas Hawk has a cool game against Quinnipiac on December 30th, you know, and we're all like, man, he's going to contribute. No, he's not. So like my take was who's the guy that does stuff when Riley Kugel is unable to do stuff. Uh, Let's be like, not that scientific about it. And I think Zion Pullen, a really, really good player in the portal, um, a winner. And I say a winner and you're probably like, what? UC Riverside. Those were really good. By UC Riverside standards, Zion Pullen was the rising tide lifting all boats, man. Like they won 20 something games. That's another thing I like about this portal group. And maybe that's a separate conversation, but all these guys have won, right? Ty Samuel, NCAA tournament player. Um, at, in a in a really good league, not you know. So Seton Hall, we know what they're capable of. Uh, Walter Clayton, NCAA tournament player, they led the national champions at halftime in the first round. All right, so I don't care what else happened in the second half. Nobody was leading those guys at halftime <laughs> except for Little Iona. Um, you know, Marshall, they were twenty four and eight. Yale, they were 13 spots better than Florida and Kempom and 15 better in Bart Torvik. And y'all want to tell me Edge Jarvis isn't starting on this team? Get out of here. All right. So, like, yeah, I mean, I just felt like this is the extra thing that Florida needed. Um, and if they coach them, um, it's a top 25 team to me. Yeah, I'll add one more thing that I really like about this group is is it's guys that have played for really good coaches. And again, I've I have used the Zion Pullen commitment to um, say as many times as possible that I think Great that Mike Pio is, is an excellent coach. Um, I was, he was on staff at, at Columbia with Todd Golden and uh, you know, truly Donovan uh, pointed out something on Twitter that I heard uh, from many sources that uh, Mike Mike Pio played a big role in uh, making this, the transition and uh, decision to come to Florida as smooth as possible. So uh, Mike, Mike Pio, we, uh, we love you. Um, I think, he's yeah, a, I think he's a fantastic coach and uh, again, talking, you were talking about like, Oh, for UC Riverside, you, like UC Riverside was a team that was like in the low two hundreds in Ken Palm forever. And now they've been like top one fifty the last year or in that range. And like part of that sign pulling big part of that's Mike McPio. So Mike Pio is excellent. Um, uh, D'Antoni at, at Marshall outstanding coach that hand locked in uh, got to play for. And of course, uh, Rick Patino at Iona, um, you know, Sheen Holley, I know he's very trendy after um, how things went at St. Peter's still to be determined to think exactly, but I think everyone loves him for sure. Um, but in terms of just guys like with pedigree, I think Mike, Mike Pio is as proven. He's excellent. And I think like if Seattle opens I, or in Seattle, if Washington opens, I think that Mike, Mike Pio should get that one. If Kyle Smith moves on, I think that Mike, Mike Pio should get that one. Like I could just go on. I, I think a lot of West coast jobs, Mike Pio should get um, D'Antoni at, at Marshall, you know, Legend in, in, in those parts for a reason. And awesome. Ty Samuel coach. played for Ty Samuel played for Kevin Willard, who I think is right. an excellent coach. Too. Um, so. Yeah, I wasn't going to say. I know that would be contentious for some people, but yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, versus. But again, versus like not to you know disparage any of the coaches that previous transfers played for, but we weren't having the conversation of like, wow, like that person has experience playing for an established, really good coach. Um, yep. Whereas that's um, that's something I can say about uh, a bunch of guys that uh, the Gators got. So. Um, and uh, yeah, I mentioned before that I thought this team was uh, NCAA tournament caliber um, pre-Poland. Um, I think Poland's really good. So <laughs> top 25 is is uh, 
for sure the case um, with me. And I think that um, we're not expecting anything too major with the last roster spot. So I think we can kind of look at this roster in some, some level of finality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think too, the reason why the, the pull in get is, is so big is just because Neil, I want you to interrupt me and say, if actually, no, Neil, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to tell you players and you're going to say relative to sec competition, Oh, on the SEC it. level, um, just purely offensively, are they average or below average or or above average offensively? So, Walter Clayton. Above average. Okay, Riley Kugel. Above average. Judge Edge Jarvis. Average. Okay, Hanlockton. Below average. Tyree Samuel. Average. Okay, we can keep going down the line, but I, I thought I'd maybe get an average Walter Clayton offense out, out of you there. You're such um, a good shooter, again, man. It's yeah. it's true, but <laughs> hey, where where where'd you put Noah Locke? Was Noah Locke an average or or above average offensive player? I mean, I thought he was above average. I always thought it was a mistake for him to leave. And like I think that Noah didn't know who he was as a basketball player when he left. And this isn't to totally relitigate uh, Noah Locke. I don't think anyone's expecting that on their bingo card. But uh, I I just think in the sense that like, you know, spoiler to people, but my early projections for Walter Clayton are going to be somewhat Noah Locke-y, like probably nine or 10 points while shooting a really good three-point percentage. Right. And that would be good. (laughs) which, Which, yeah, but which again, it's one of those things where it's like, but if they're not providing any creation for others or little creation for others, you know, I would I would put average if he's a nine or ten point but efficient three point shooter. That's okay. still probably going to rate go average for me because if you're looking at sixth man or starting point yeah. guard slash two guard at the SEC level, to me that's average. That's Anyways, fair. I think we're seeing a lot of averages to maybe below average. Mm-hmm. Um, agree with you on Micah Hanlockton, um, Ed, like Edge Jarvis. I think I could go average, but I'm leaning more on the below average. Side yeah, so was I. So <laughs> it's hard. What I'm getting at is the Gators don't have a lot of plus offensive talent. And if you're looking at a team that just stared down a pretty ugly adjusted offensive efficiency number, yes, you could already look and say, oh, this team's going to be better. But like, if you're going to go from, I don't even remember. I, I haven't looked in so long what the Gators ended at. <laughs> One, was it in the 140s? Oh man, this is this is poor podcasting from people who expect, um, ex- expect to know these things. So they were 139th. If you're going to like, if you were to look at all the players that we just talked about, could you expect 139th to 39th? That's even, that's a pretty huge jump and that still wouldn't be elite. And that, so now yeah. that the Gators have someone like Pullen, do I suddenly think the Gators are going to be a top 25 offensive team, top 20, top 15? Uh, I'm definitely not ready to go that, that, that route. But um, again, I did like the roster the Gators had, but I still could look at it and say, Ooh, there's still, they're still missing some juice offensively, so um, that's that's why Poland is 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 so huge. And um, yeah, um, I'll the also- biggest thing for me, Eric, and I don't I don't want to. I just think this is a useful anecdote to add. Like the biggest thing I'm pulling for me was the Bart Torvik projected number offensively. Forget the team, right? Like the projected offensive number went from 49th to 31st. Hmm. That's that's huge. And I think you could make the argument that that's pretty fair. 
yeah, this is, uh, again, people have now started talking to me and, and, you know, Malik was tweeting about it, like waiting on my, my, my transfer projections and, uh, which for this year is going to turn out to be, you know, a, a, yeah, lot, of players. It's a lot of work. And I actually thought, well, and I actually thought that I was going to talk about this on the podcast, but I never have, and I've never written about it, but, um, little inside look part of the reason my projections have been so accurate in my opinion is i actually do projections for every player on the gators and i think people would i didn't want to tell people because i know they'd want to see those every year and i'm like yeah if i show everyone's projections i've got more chances to be wrong that's that's the reason i don't chat i'll be honest with you um i, I was keeping it but i do <laughs> projections for everyone and that is part of the reason that i think i'm so successful personally um so uh you know maybe this is the year that i actually make public my projections for, for everyone, but it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, but, uh, yeah, somewhere in that mid thirties range is, is probably where the, where I have the Gators offensively. I'd, I'd have to think. And, uh, of course, you know, given what they were defensively last year, I think they've got more defensive capabilities this year. Um, yeah. so, uh, that would be of course where they can, uh, you know, really, I was going to say make up some, yeah, I guess I'll say make up some ground, but hopefully it's more than make up ground. Hopefully it's be a top 25 basketball team. Um, one last thing. I don't have strong opinions on pulling um, defensively. Um, I thought he looked fine, um, but uh, I, I, I just didn't feel strongly in, in any real direction um, watching his take. Do you have any, any feel positive, negative or, or otherwise of, of pulling defensively? Not really. I mean, I like that he's six four and strong. You know, he's not going to get knocked back in a physical league. That's fine. I don't want anybody getting knocked back at the point of attack on like downhill drives. That's been a problem for Florida for longer than I really have enjoyed recording podcasts about it. So, like, I don't feel like he's going to have that issue. And so, great. You know, if because I expect, like you just talked about defense, and like I do, I think they have more. Like they're Ty Samuel's healthy, Edge Jarvis is healthy. Edge Jarvis was two votes for being Ivy League Defensive Player of the Year because um, they release everything. Because Sunshine's the best disinfectant uh, in the Ivy League, and um, I mean he's really good. Uh, and Ty Samuel is a good defender from a good league. You know, there's Micah Handlocked in has huge upside on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think Riley Kugel's going to take a huge leap defensively. And I think we already saw some of it in February. Shoot, the steal in the SEC tournament was fabulous defense. Um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they've got I, – I don't need to Zion Pullen to, like, <laughs> carry the weight for me on the defensive side of the ball. Just like I don't need Julian Rishwain to knock down a bunch of threes like he did for an NCAA tournament team at San Francisco. Another winner that they added to the roster. And I don't know if he's a guy that's going to recover from the ACL injury. I, I thought we could touch on him just very briefly. You know, if he doesn't, he'll be medical redshirt eligible. And I think Florida has their sixth man for the following season. Um. You kind of just stunned me at the end. That that's a bridge too far for me to cross. Maybe six man is too far, but <laughs> certainly, certainly they have a guy that is a knockdown shooter on their roster the following year. Now he didn't yeah, take did. a lot of shots last year. He did not shoot the ball well last year. He was also hurt 
um, before his injury and then tore his ACL. Yeah, that's uh, sorry. I should, I, I just was, I, I was a little taken aback by that one. I think if he's the Gator Six man, we got bad, bad use of um, words, <laughs> so, which I shouldn't just, you know, uh, hang on that, that one word. But uh, yeah, I think that it says something about the market of the transfer portal, of which we discussed in the last podcast, where it's looking a little bit uh, bleak. And uh, at the same time, it's like, well, when you've got Riley Kugel and you've got Zion Pullen and you've got Walter Clayton and you've got Will Richard and you just went and got EJ Jarvis and Tyree Samuel um, and, and Mike Adnokin, like no player that's even available is going to want to go play. Go fight up, fight up for minutes for that. So right. like, the Gators needed to get someone like this. And of course the familiarity with the player that, um, that they loved at San Francisco. Um, yeah. I'm sure that played a, played a massive role. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that he was still kind of hurt even before the mega injury, which was, yeah, like was every, like the entire alphabet of ACL, PCL, MCL, like it was all ripped up and, and in a really unfortunate injury for him. And uh, yeah, not like you alluded to, he's not expected to be, ready for the start of the season or anything close to that. So, um, but um, yeah, he, it's also worth noting that, yeah, before this major injury, he was hurt a little bit, but he was struggling. He did not shoot the ball. Well, tough year um, last year, tough year overall. And uh, you know, his best year was like seven points a game while shooting, you know, 43% from three. So yeah, six foot five guard, catch and shoot, know your role kind of guy. Um, you know, I'll be honest. There's, I, like there's nothing that is going to really excite me about this other than I know that he's very well liked and I like when good right. people get rewarded, um, that, you know, warms my heart, but, uh, it's uh it's a situation where it's like, yeah, at, at peak, this guy was like a seven or eight point per game guy who exclusively caught played catch and shoot. And, um, from the advanced numbers, um, was or shot really well on wide open threes, and didn't shoot very well when guarded, which is not a great indicator of of, of translating up. Except but against same, Gonzaga, which is wonderful. If he had a couple <laughs> of those, and 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 you know, you, I know you say that partially in jest, but like Tongue that's really mostly. That's but... but that's really like with a player like this. That's really what you're hoping for. Is there one or two games that he wins you where he gets hot? Like, and I and I mean, like that's the thing is for for 25 games he might be kind of nothing. He's not going to be on the floor enough to shoot you out of one, but can you get hot once or twice and, and, and win yep. you a, a road conference game where nothing's going right. And he comes in or like, yeah, I was going to say maybe like the spike Albrecht points. NCAA turn. I, right. I was going to say a spike Albrecht reference, which is um, I'm making uh, some yes. obscure ones today. Um, but I, again, it's like much like it was going wrong for Michigan at that point. I think things would be wrong going wrong. If uh wish rain was, was Florida's six man or anything like that. So, um, yeah, sorry, I, I, I said I, six man. No, I just won't let you forget it. I'm sorry, but no, it's no, okay. it's like look, you know, I saw I saw people talking about like, oh, you know, like he's gonna recapture the 43% three point stroke, and he's six five, and yeah, you know, I I love the optimism of 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 that. I, I think it's someone who's got to top out as your 11th best player, and hopefully win you one or two games. Um, but is there someone else in the portal? I think they should have got it in, instead of him or that they could reasonably have gotten ahead of him. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. So happy to have good players or like people that good people um, get rewarded for being good people and good students and uh, coming to Florida where he will hopefully have all the access to the best recovery tools possible for his knee. Yeah. So he can get back to, um, 
full strength. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I don't well, really have too much to say. You were, you were about to say something though. No, I just, it's zero risk, right? Like yeah. he comes, he gets his degree at a great university. It's all reward, whether it's he hits four three pointers and wins you a road game in Starkville in the middle of February when no one can hit the broad side of the barn, um, you know, or not. It's also a good recruiting tool, to be honest. I mean, I coach, Eric coaches. Like, if you can go into, I don't recruit, Eric hopefully will have to do that soon. But like, if you can go to a living room and just say, hey, look, we care about kids. Every coach in the world says that. But this staff can now say, hey, look, look at Julian Richwain, right? Like he, we left, he blew out his knee under the new staff. It was all ripped up. And we said, hey, why don't you come and play for us? And it doesn't matter if you play a minute. We're going to give you a scholarship. We're going to take care of you, give you the tools to rehab because we care about relationships, right? Like that, that is gold. <laughs> and it's, you know, so, I mean, zero risk on the Wayne take. That's kind of my uh, take on it. Yeah. And, and I, I, I guess it's um, something that should be pointed out um, as well as that he started his career at Boston college. Was it? I'm now blanking. Um, but you know, yeah, he didn't start. So he started at the high major level. So, um, it's, it's not like this is someone who had, you know, zero offers and then, you know, got to San Francisco. Um, and then, you know, as was, was an average player, like he was a very good high school player, um, in, uh, you know, playing in Los Angeles, a place where it's like historically kind of difficult to, um, evaluate players. Cause there's, it's very top heavy and some people overrate, uh, LA basketball and some people underrate it. But anyways, yeah. he came in and I mean, he played like, you know, he played, he played good minutes in, in the ACC. Um, so, uh, yeah, he does have, you know, some, some high major experience already. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, like anything, anything I think you really get from him is, is, uh, is, is found money. Um, so, uh, no real other uh, takes on that one. So the only thing worse than my six man reference was probably my, attempt to cover the recruitment of John Bowl. <laughs> um, a tale of text messages to Eric to where I like ended up, I'll let you guys like fourth wall. I ended up just apologizing to Eric. I, I found out that John was going to Florida about 10 minutes after I tweeted that my pick for Florida basketball hour was overtime elite. Um, and then I was also told by the individual that told me not to do that. Uh, not not to tell anybody. Um, don't correct your old tweet. Just, you know, this is a trust exercise. And so I said, all right, well, that's fine. So then somebody asked me what my confidence level was. And I said, I'm not very confident. <laughs> well, that's all I said. <laughs> I'm not very confident that my overtime elite pick was right. Um, I will tell you a story. There's a lot of different reporting going on this. I am very confident that this is accurate. Um, it, as inaccurate as I was on this recruitment, this was like a last week decision for John Bull. There was a lot of speculation that he was really in Florida's back pocket for a long time. He certainly was, was loved the Gators for a long time. Uh, and then he was not distracted when he got a late offer from UConn 
um, which I think might have distracted some people. Um, that did not work with him. He did visit Missouri. Um, there was a lot of buzz around Missouri late. And so initially I texted Eric, I think, Hey, he's going to Missouri. And that was a couple of different people from Missouri that felt very confident that that was the case. Um, and then another Florida insider, um, told me, yeah, he's not going to Florida. He's, he's going to go to Missouri or overtime elite. And I said, I think he's going to Missouri. So then I was very confident in Missouri told Eric, Hey, it's Missouri. Well, then both of my Missouri people said, I, Hey, for whatever reason, John Bull has gone like dark on us on the staff at Missouri. <laughs> so that's wild. Like what? He just stopped answering their text messages and whatever. And um, so then I was like, well, it's overtime league. Cause I've already been told it's not Florida. And then I found out it was Florida in any event. As wrong as I was, hey, good for Todd Golden and the guys for getting it right on a big-time recruit. Um, high four-star, number 29 player overall in the 24-7 composite. Offer sheet is fabulous. Michigan, Butler, UConn, uh, you name it. Number one uh, player out of Kansas. Uh, the number 23 player overall in the 24 seven composite 29 in the 24 seven rankings, uh, seven foot one huge wingspan, seven, nine chance to be just an impact shot blocker immediately in college, I think. Um, and it's not reclassifying. So he's a 2024 guy. Uh, your thoughts, you know, I, I guess he's skinny. Um, so are most kids that are seven feet tall and 18 years old. Uh, um, any other thoughts on this? This I mean, this is a big deal because they've done well in the portal, but hadn't yet kind of shown it on the trail necessarily. And I, you know, I say that with all due respect to you know the the other guys that they brought in, but this is a, a big time recruiting battle that they won with big names. I've said this so many times on the podcast and I'm going to say it again, like college basketball is a game of markets. And I don't think enough college coaches realize that when they, when the portal opens and they go all in on a bunch of, you know, six foot three shooting guards who can't handle the ball because those are the players that there's just so much supply of. Um, As we saw in the portal, like, yes, the Gators got some, some good names in the portal in the front court position. Um, But every single year um, there are centers that like every, everyone is desperate for a center. It's very hard to get legitimate size. Um, I don't know if people uh, realize this, but Omar Payne's going to UCF after really struggling to do anything at Jacksonville, like, because they're that desperate for a center. Like, and that is not to clown on Omar Payne. Um, that, but you can look all around the country, look at the centers that a lot of high major teams got. They are players who were single digit point, single digit rebound, lower than one block, 19 minute per game, mid major guys. Cause there's, it is very hard to get quality centers. Um, and even, you know, I would say to an extent, like you can look at the production of Micah Hanlockton and say that the Gators reached a little bit. So, but that's, that's just what you have to do with centers. They are very difficult to acquire. They're very difficult to acquire through the portal. Um, And uh, that's why I think it is so, so important to land for high major programs that want to compete at the top of the sport. You you do need to go. um, While I think you can get a lot of things out of the portal, you need to, you need to recruit 
traditionally in high school to get elite centers. Um, it's just, uh, I, again, you can check my work and you can go see all the centers in the portal. Um, and, and it's actually like, if you look at any center that hit the portal for the mid-major league and you were like, oh, I think that that guy's, you know, probably staying low major. Boom, he gets a good mid-major school. Oh, you think a guy's going to go to the Big West? Oh, he goes to the Mountain West. Oh, you think a guy's going to go to Conference USA? Wow, that guy ended up at a, at, in the Big 12. Like every center goes up a, a league more than they should because there's no there's there's no supply. So um, I think this was a very important um, recruitment for the Gators. Um, I, I, and uh, it's uh, it's one of those things that you're just not going to get a seven-footer um, with upside in the portal. Um, it's uh, it's one of those things too, where like, uh, I, I'm just also laughing because like you see him reported at seven foot at seven foot one at seven foot two. And then of course, one of the, you know, the big names that announced the recruitment said the seven foot three John Bowl uh, commits to the Gator. So, <laughs> uh, you know, like somewhere in that range, I'm going to give him seven, one and a half, um, maybe seven, one and a quarter. Um, we'll, we'll see what actually happens. doesn't really matter to me <laughs> to be quite honest with you. I'm not going to view him much differently. Even honestly, if he was seven foot three versus seven foot, doesn't really change, uh, my thoughts on him. Um, of course, massive defensive potential and, and, and defensive production already. Um, I like that he plays at a really good high school in, in, in sunrise Christian in Kansas, um, plays for Mocan elite on the circuit. So he's got high level coaching there. And uh, yeah, he's definitely small now. Um, a, a year to get that kind of corrected a little bit, and uh, um, it's one of those things too. We're talking about like, well, a lot of these seven foot centers they need to add weight. It's it's also a thing where like he doesn't have much offensive game, but very few centers do have offensive game coming out of high school. Uh, that's uh, all, all these centers need work, unless your name is you know PJ Hall, um, who's you know pretty polished, but didn't quite have the the seven foot bounciness. Um, uh, so yeah, he's got some work to do offensively, but if, if nothing else, just major length defensive potential and defensive production already. And, uh, yeah, this is just, uh, a, a, a no brainer guy that the Gators needed to go hard after because there's, uh, there's, it's one of those things you're not going to get in the portal. There's not even that, then there's also not that many in high school recruiting when there is a legit center prospect in high school. Those are the guys you need to go hard at. So, uh, full credit for the Gators for doing that. Yeah, and I think you mentioned it as a big recruitment, and I think it's a domino effect recruitment. Um, so I'll answer two questions and kind of get Eric's feedback on my thoughts on this. Um, but the first way it's a domino effect recruitment is I think it helps with um, the Flory Bundinga recruitment. I, I do. I think Bundinga recruitment. I think um, Florida's going to need two bigs anyway. Uh, and I think talent attracts talent historically um at least out of high school maybe in the the portal talent scares talent sometimes um but i think when it comes to high school recruits they want to play with each other uh so i think that i don't think it harms florida in that respect anyway if anything it just shows big time recruits that hey look a big time recruit for the second straight year was interested in playing for todd gold because they got riley kugel and now um, you know, John Bull commits. I guess there's a gap with the last class, but you get the point. Um, it's the second time he's gotten, you know, a huge player. I also think the second way, speaking of huge players, is you know, Mikel Brown, his teammate at Sun Sunrise Christian, maybe one of the top 10 players in 2025, certainly one of the top 20 players. Um, coming back home already to play for Chris Mayberry in Florida, who's a 
a, a really well-respected coach in the state of Florida. Um, at, and, you know, so he'll be in Orlando at first Academy um, where there's a lot of different ties to some guys that ended up at Dr. Phillips that you might've heard of, but uh, you know, I think, I think that bodes well. The Gators were one of the first schools to recruit Mikel Brown, an Orlando kid. He's now coming home. He's going to have a teammate on the Gators at the heart of his recruitment. I think it puts Florida in a nice position to maybe land a huge point guard recruit as well. So, you know, you have to be competitive in these battles as a young coach, and then you have to win a couple of them before you can kind of see the domino effect of that uh, happen. We're seeing it at Alabama um, in both recruiting and in the portal where NATO's, you know, convinced a couple big time kids to come. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, it was fine. It was totally acceptable to go play for Nate Oates at Alabama. So um, Florida, same deal, hopefully uh, for the Gators. Now they have to show it on the court like Nate Oates did. Um, you know, I do think winning definitely is a persuasive recruiting tool in college basketball, maybe even more so than college football. Um, but, uh, you know, those are just kind of my thoughts on that. Maybe you can touch on if you have an opinion on whether it helps or hurts the Badunga recruiting, that'd be great. If not recruiting, we dive into. Um, every, every center, um, wants to be a power forward. Every power forward thinks they're a wing and every wing thinks they're a point guard. So, um, with, uh, Badunga, if you can say, um, Hey, we've got our center. So you're, you and you don't need to play any five for us. Um, that, that I think works. Like if you can say, Hey, we've got, you know, you, you're, you're going to be someone who, who goes and scores and we play through you because we've got John Bull to, to, to clean things up on the glass, to, uh, um, to block shots defensively. Like you just sell, you know, flurry on Hey, you're, you're an offensive guy. Like you're an offensive guy. We're going to play through you. Um, you're, you're never going to have to play center for us. You can just play small, you know, that, that those are just things like that's, that's where I would go with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if that's what, uh, what Florida will do, but it's, it's, it's always one of those things that I think that, uh, you know, just always, always, always cracks me up about every, you know, recruitment where, you know, every player wants to be more of a ball handler. Let's, let's, you know, let's sell them on. Oh, uh, other teams are going to want you to play five. Look, they play small ball fives in the past. Oh, but us, look, we have multiple centers on our roster. We have already have John Bowl. So like, you're never going to play the five that, that, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Um, two questions for you. One, just, I don't know if you're going to know off the top of your head, have the Gators ever gotten a kid from, from sunrise? Like I just, I'm just as I'm thinking about it, that's just kind of one of the traditional powers of obviously not the Southeast there in Kansas, but, uh, just thinking about like top high school programs. I can't think of the Gators. Got Have ever gotten a, a sunrise kid, but anyways, know. you know, fun would jump out at you. Yeah, no, but uh, anyways, so it's good to good to maybe start that you know relationship because, like you said, they're going to have many more great yeah. players. Um, and then the other one I was going to just say to you: the Gators now have two commitments in the class. How many uh, how many high school commits do you think the Gators should take or, or or will take this upcoming class? It'll be interesting, man. I I like I think that they're still, you know, I mean, if you look at their their target list, they're still very much interested in at least two more. Um you know, landing both of them is, is probably up in the air, but I certainly think Ryan Jones is going to come to Florida. Um, 
you know? And I was listening when uh, Brown committed, I was getting some DMs and saying, Hey, you know, like, it's funny that FBH never talks recruiting. And you were like, yeah, I think he's coming to Florida like <laughs> several months ago. And then he committed and I said, well, you know, I usually don't, <laughs> except for the John Bull recruitment, I tend to not say things unless I'm sure about them. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was joking with somebody in our basketball building at Florida that I was retiring from recruitment analysis again after, uh, happily taking one on the nose in the John Bull recruitment. But I do think they'll get Jones uh, from the rock and then whether or not there's another guy uh, that remains to be seen, Eric. So the, the one other thing that, again, I know that there's a lot of NBA fans that listen to the podcast that are obviously Florida fans as well. Um, and those people who especially follow the NBA draft will know that for years, the 2024 class has been talked about as a very weak one. And uh, it's, 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 it, it's going to be interesting to see again, like do the Gators think that the class is, is weak and um, therefore maybe not go after as, as, as many guys or, um, you know, does it, does it matter to them at all? Or like, you know, when, when you see that uh, John Bull is like the 23rd player in the class, like, is he like that, that could be totally the, totally the case where he's the 23rd best player, but would that be the 45th best player you know, two years prior or whatever the last, you know, stronger one is. Um, that'll be kind of interesting to see, but I, I'm interested because like, again, if we wanted to just use the previous staff as an example, like they, um, as we know, there was a couple of years where they admittedly were chasing recruiting rankings, which is all well and good. But if you get good ranked guys in a bad class and you put a lot of, you know, equity in those guys, well, you're, that kind of hurts you. Um, obviously in the portal world now that's that changes you're not as reliant on the talent you bring in through high school but uh yeah i'm just going to be interested to see um you know just overall in college basketball how weak is this class totally and um will the gators go and land all these you know top ranked players who are maybe not quite as good as their their ranking would indicate but still like if john bowl is not the 23rd best player in a normal year and he's the 35th best player in a regular year well that's still a really good player at a premium position. So <laughs> I'm not suggesting like, Oh, you might, you know, be scared at his ranking because this class isn't very good. That's not what I'm saying, but uh, right. You know, is this the year that, that Florida wants to go and get four or five high school players? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe so, not. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll consider recruiting touched on unless you have anything more you want. To, no, I mean, look, no, it's a great, it's a good point. I mean, there's questions about Ryan Jones, right? Cause like what position does he play? You just made the joke, but like no one knows if he's a three a four or just a really small six, eight, five that they hope gets to six, nine. Um, you know, I think he has a little more of a shooting game. Um, I know LSU is recruiting him and selling him hard on, Hey man, Darius days left uh, the rock and things worked out. Okay. For him. And, you know, that'll be interesting. Like I think Florida, that could end up being a, I don't want to say a head to head because I know Sean Miller and Xavier really like Ryan Jones too. And, um, you know, Sean Miller's been at a couple of his events when there's been contact windows in the off season. So, you know, I'm sure Xavier's going to press him, but you know, yeah. I mean, what does Florida think his position is? Um, does that scare the Gators away? What I like about it is that I think Florida is thinking about these things in a, strategic fashion certainly and you know really pursuing and going hard after john bull at that you know like you said it's about markets 
uh, I think matters for me at Florida. You know, I don't know how, how often Florida has had a really physical SEC, you know, hard to play against caliber power forward. Um, and like, that's kind of where I see Ryan Jones. And I also think there's value in taking the hometown kid. Certainly players from the rock have, have uh, treated the university of Florida basketball program quite well in the past. So I, yeah, you know, actually, I, I, I have one more thing actually then on, on John Ball because, you know, it actually will be fun to have like a seven foot something rim runner shop locker because the Gators haven't really had that player um, in, in a long yeah, time. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's one of those things that you always kind of look at a lot of other teams in the SEC. You have a seven foot one guy who can block shots and, 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 and move quick laterally. And you're like, man, wouldn't that be great to have? And like, you know, the Gators were like, oh, we really need it. Like in, in, in recent years, it was like the Gators were like, oh, we really need a shot blocking presence. Um, they get Omar Payne, who is like six foot eight with really long arms um, and, you know, fairly athletic, but like six foot eight, six foot nine. Um, you know, Kavarius Hayes, we love to death, but, you know, he was like six, eight or six, nine. Shout right. out to Kavarius Hayes, who just uh, um, his him and Zelgiris just won uh, um, the Lithuanian League. Um, very good league. Dominant. Um, we've got a Lithuanian on, on my team, Edmonton Singers, and, and then as well as a player who played in that league. So I was asking them about Kavarius Hayes, and they're like, oh, yeah, and uh, asking him how much money he was making, probably playing for his Zilgiris. And uh, safe to say the guy that was close to quitting basketball because he didn't know if he loved the game anymore is now uh, living very comfortably playing for one of the best teams <laughs> in the world outside the NBA. So um, really happy for Hayes. But anyways, it's like, that was that was the shot-blocking kind of defensive guy, but he was, you know, 6'9". So. Um, yeah, been a long time since the Gators have had that kind of run and jump, shot blocking, finish everything around the rim with a powerful dunk center. So um, it's always kind of fun to bring in like those archetypes of, of players that the Gators haven't had. Like for a while, we're like, oh, man, can we please just get wings who can make shots like everyone else in 2021? Um, now the Gators have you know finally started to get some wings. It's like, oh, can we just finally have like a really good wing creator score? It's like, oh, we got Riley Kugel, and it's like, uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun to to have that uh, that that guy who's just gonna be able to to finish everything with alley oops and, and all that. So, um, not that you should be uh, necessarily uh, building your roster around who's fun to watch and what player archetypes <laughs> a certain program hasn't had in in a long time, but uh, certainly some uh, some utility in in that style of player. And of course, if he adds a ton of muscle, watch out. So. Yeah, interesting one. No doubt. Um, so let's close with this. Florida headed to the College World Series, Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and they have, you know, for the last several years, an annual – there's a bar that awards a trophy to the fan base that consumes the most jello shots. Now, I am not a fan of the jello shot, uh, but – I get it, you know. It's a it's a tasty treat, and then you load it with whatever vodka, whatever you want to put in there. Um, so I, you know, I was looking at the field. So you have Oral Roberts. That's like a Bible college. So they're not yeah. going to win the Jello Shot con contest. No, they 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 belong in the Jello Shot NIT. Yeah, they're going to the Jello Shot NIT. You've got um, Stanford, and they're they're too smart to win the Jello Shot contest. So. We can eliminate like two schools right off the bat. And really now you get down to the nitty gritty and you're like, I know in Tennessee, they put moonshine in jello shots um, at fraternity parties. I can neither confirm nor deny how I know that. Um, but 
I would say that the Vols kind of have to be the favorite in the Jello Shot competition. Uh, you know, and I was just wondering if if you had any thoughts on that as we close out this episode of Florida Basketball Hour. Well, just when you said Stanford, I feel like I was seeing this on Twitter last year. That as you were talking, I was reminded. I feel like Stanford was just like way behind the field. So uh, yeah, you know, not that I have any hot, take, <laughs> but like, um, so so who else? Who else is there? How many teams? They're like I, Wake I, Wake Forest is not winning the Jello Shot contest. Like they're they may win the tournament. They're really good, right? But it's like a small liberal arts school from a town named after cigarettes. Like they're not gonna win the lib- I mean, they're not, they're not gonna no, no jello shot. It's a private, it's bougie. Other than the town being named after cigarettes, there's nothing about Wake Forest that screams jello shot champion. So um, I, I think it's a matter too. So, how, like, how many teams make college World Series? Like, I'm a massive like Blue Jays fan. I love baseball, but like yeah. college baseball, like, there's just only so many sports. So there's eight. Make. All right. So here's the field. Okay. All right. And I think we've eliminated Wake. Like they're out. Yeah. Oral Roberts out. No, Max is walking through that. So door. really, it's a five team competition for I Jello Shot champion. I think it's Florida. There's Florida, LSU, and Tennessee. So the SEC well represented. There's the University of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson's University. Now they're more into the Pinot Noir than they are the Jello shots there, right? Like that's that's Tony Bennett's school. Like I could see them like winning a Cabernet contest, but probably not a Jello shot contest. And then who is the other? TCU. Now mm. don't be fooled by the Christian in TCU. Mm. That's all I'm saying. So. Like again, I, I don't know the seeds, but I'd have to think that Tennessee would be a favorite and LSU would be a favorite. So yeah. like so I think there's gotta be something about longevity, like what gets you that extra couple of nights of, of, of fans sticking around. Right. Um so so I'm gonna go LSU. I couldn't name oh, yeah. a single player in any of these teams, but I'm gonna say LSU goes deep and I think with a fan base that's gonna be competitive. Um in 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 the Jello shot uh, competition, but like what what like do, where do you put Florida's odds? I think they're third, fourth, uh, and this is Jello shot, not how they'll actually finish in the college. So races. I think I think LSU is a strong ass pick. Hmm. See what I did there, and I think they're a strong ass pick because um, they're probably going to go to the finals or at least play deep, right? And that's why I think the Gators have a good shot at finishing like third or maybe even sneaking into second if Tennessee goes two in barbecue, which is possible. Because, um, mm. like, the Vols could run out to a lead and then be home after two games. Like, they're, them being there is a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, so we'll see. But that's always interesting. Well, TCU's yeah, like, kind I, I, of because they're so hot right now. Okay. Like, like – yeah, I, I will watch this event. Um, I haven't in the past, but I will try to because I I I, do, I really do love baseball and I love like Nick Delatore's coverage of it. Yeah, um, he's the best. I, I love the schedule, like j- like everything about like if I if I lived in Gainesville or a, a place with high level college baseball, I I would be at every game, like because I love the sport. I I love the yeah. live experience, and uh, I was actually close to going um, to the College World Series. Um, during oh. COVID, because I have a friend who's not into sports at all, but is like, right. "Hey, my company's sending me to Omaha, like, and we have like apparently like uh, box seats to like the baseball World Series or something." Like, and I'm like, "Oh, like, yeah, like that seems like my dad." <laughs> so, so I was actually really close to going, but I have not tr- uh, historically watched it. But I'll, I'm going to try to watch it this time. And and uh, 
jello shots are not something that I've ever spent money on. Like I would not go out of my way to procure one. It is only right. when, when presented with a jello shot that I will take one. And, uh, um, I, 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 but I see what I'm saying. Okay. What I was getting at is, but I see them at stores. They've got those like pre-packaged ones at the liquor store. Usually yeah. you buy that by the till. So I know that you can just grab, grab one if you need. So my question to you, Neil, is what, is, what will it take for you to start off the next podcast with the jello shot? Would it be a Florida world series win? Would it be a Florida fan jello shot championship at that one bar or, or both of those things? Is there okay, anything I'll, that could get you to do a, a jello shot? I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll start the next show with one if Florida either reaches the finals, I don't even need them to win or finishes top two in the Omaha jello shot competition. Like I'm just really tired of Florida losing to LSU and things. I say that as an objective podcast host with no skin in the game, <laughs> but it would be great to just hand them a strong ass L. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure that those like prepackaged, like stored at room temperature, like shelf stable Jello shots are really the peak of the the art form. But uh, um, I will I will happily uh, join you in one if if, if that happens. My my first ever purchase that wasn't uh, someone handing me one at like uh, you know a nice a nice party in the summer. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I will join you if that happens, and uh, whenever we end up podcasting next, which I assume will probably be after the College World Series. Because yeah, I, I think so, but we will see. Hopefully nothing crazy happens in between. Um, enjoy the College World Series, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we will – I don't even know what we'll do on the next show. I guess we'll start looking uh, at you, player you, breakdowns and stuff. You know, know. you know what we need to do? Um, we've avoided it, and maybe maybe I, we should have kept avoiding it, but at some point we yeah. need Jake Winderman back on the show. Yeah. We did predictions before that, and they are going to be a disaster. So I don't Let's know if we even need. To, I don't know if we Come need to go it. even through through everything, but at some point we need to just have some form of recap. Maybe we don't need to touch on everything and be 100% embarrassed, but we can at least look at some of the categories, such as like when we probably both said that the Gators would be like top 30 in offense or something, and they were <laughs> like, I, we, so I, I've not talked to Jake about that, but we do. I will say that for offseason content at some point, we'll uh, we'll need to get Jake on here and uh, do that. I love it. I love it. Well, go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts, y'all. Thanks for listening.